Welcome to this week's edition of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don Mills, uh, just an, a very impressive conversation today with Andrew Olin, the CEO uh, of uh, Moosehead Breweries in St. John. I think just a very inspiring and uplifting conversation today. Well, it's such a great story. Um, you know, I've known Andrew for quite a long time. We actually served together on the Ames board for a number of years. He's a he's a progressive young, um, you know, CEO. Um, you know, here's a company uh, that's, you know, he's part of the sixth generation of ownership by by the family. This is very rare. It, it doesn't happen very often. The ability to transfer the ownership of business through the generations is a real skill. And he told us a little bit about how it happened in his case. And, you know, it's worth listening to anybody who has a family business because it's probably harder to transfer ownership to a family within a family than it is to sell it to an outsider. Uh, it's, uh, it's not easy and people have to be properly prepared uh, to take it over. It's a little bit like a management buyout in, in some respects. You know, you have to know that the people are ready to take it over. And, uh, you know, credit to his dad, uh, Derek, who I've known for a long time uh, for preparing Andrew for uh, that role. Uh, he's obviously, um, you know, stepped in and is doing a great job. This is a very successful company. So what did you think of his notion, though, that the Oh, the transfer should be just singular. So to, you could only have one one boss, even if you have multiple children. What would you think of that? Uh, that well, idea? I I was involved in a on a, on a company in the region that uh, tried to transfer it to four siblings, and it was a mess. They actually had to come to agreement that it had to be one person. Okay. And and you know I understand you know the uh, the asset distribution issue is a challenge, but uh, I think it's the right. In most cases, not in all cases. I mean, there may be cases like, you know, he's working with his brother, obviously. Uh, but I think that uh, it, it, it actually makes sense to designate somebody as the next generation. And, of course, you know, the other people will get their share of the, of the benefit of the value anyway, but they, they won't run the company. And I think uh, having a single um, person in charge of the company probably makes some success. And maybe that's the secret of their su successful uh, transfer over the generations. Who knows? Yeah, they made a cleaner break every year in terms of the transfer. Uh, and another thing interesting, eh, Don? It's 1865, founded by Susanna Olin. So this is a female-founded manufacturing company. Yeah, she was well ahead of her time. They started out in Halifax, uh, and, and the family split. One took over the Keese Brewery um, that was sold to Labatt's in the 70s, I think. And uh, another part of the family moved to St. John and started another brewery. And uh, so they were actually, family were competing in the beer business uh, in two different provinces. And then at one time, as you know, Moosehead actually had a brewery in Halifax, which was required if you wanted to sell beer in Nova Scotia, you had to brew it in Nova Scotia. And that was kind of the rules, I think, for all provinces in Canada, which is arcane and that didn't make any sense. So St. John is, of course, is home to some pretty big firms between the various Irving entities and Cook Aquaculture and so on. But Moosehead is no piker, 200 million a year in annual sales, 275 employees. That's, that's quite a firm. Uh, not only that, but uh, you know, they're, they're 
basically selling most of their product outside Atlantic Canada. He indicated only 20% of the their own brands are sold within the region. The rest are sold uh, elsewhere in all 50 states, by the way, uh, which is, uh, I, I, I've known they've had an interest in uh, in, in the U.S. for a long time. Uh, Derek uh, really uh, led that initiative to expand their uh, export business into the U.S. So an important uh, important manufacturer uh, for for St. John. And, you know, we had a, <clears throat> a chance to talk to Andrew about what's going on in, in, in St. John. I think that part of the conversation is very interesting because you and I know that St. John of the three cities has really fallen behind. Uh, both from an economic point of view and from a population point of view, but that's all changing. There's 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 a new there's a new attitude that's emerging in St. John that I think is quite apparent. There's a lot of successful things happening. They just had the big French Lycée School International announce uh, setting up a, a school there. Uh, the Port of St. John is really rocking and rolling. Uh, there's a lot of good things happening in St. John. Yes, and he was very excited to share that with us. I think the family has been very committed to the community over the generations. And, and I think the green shoots that we're seeing now in St. John are, are really good news, not only for that area, but for uh, all of uh, Atlantic Canada. So without any further ado, here's our conversation with Andrew Oland, CEO, Moosehead Breweries. Welcome to the Insights Podcast, Andrew. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So Moosehead Breweries is a New Brunswick, uh, and I would argue a maritime province's icon. The company has been, biz- been in business for over 150 years and is described as the last major brewery in Canada still owned by Canadians. Andrew, some of our younger listeners might not know the story. Can you tell us about the company, when it was founded, and some of the key highlights over the years? Sure. Uh, briefly, in 1865, Susanna Oland came from England to what before Canada was Canada, came to Halifax with her nine children uh, in search of the Canadian dream. Uh, Her husband, John, had gone ahead a few years, and so they met up there. Uh, They'd had some tough financial challenges in England, uh, and they came to uh, Halifax. Susanna, as a number of women would have been at the time, uh, brewed beer. And uh, by 1867, she and John were able to... uh, Uh, find some money, get some capital, and start a small brewery. And uh, the brewery had some ups and downs, including burning down a number of times. Uh, But by 1883, when Susanna died, uh, it was a a prosperous business. Uh, Susanna did something very, very uh, unusual uh, upon her death or prior to her death, and that is she left the business to her youngest son, George W. C. Oland. Uh, And it turned out to be a pretty good decision because he ran the company for like the next 45 years or so, including uh, dealing with the Halifax explosion, which was by far the most traumatic event in the history of the company. And uh, it's at that point uh, that the family divides into two. Uh, Members of the family stay in Halifax, continue brewing beer there. Uh, and they would have done that until about 1970 when they would have sold their business uh, to Labatt Breweries of Canada. Uh, my great-grandfather, George B. Oland, and my grandfather, uh, George uh, Philip Oland, who was only a young boy at the time, uh, moved to St. John, New Brunswick, bought a brewery here, and uh, that's where we are today. Um, in uh, the early 60s, 
my father, Derek, uh, went to one of these sort of classic Board of Trade speeches. And the uh, speaker at the time was a federal cabinet minister. And behind him was a banner that said, export or die. And that was the message of the speech. And uh, father uh, really took that to heart. At the time, we were only selling in the three maritime provinces. And it was really father's um, you know, understanding that the Maritimes were just not a big enough market for us uh, to prosper going forward. And it took a while, but by 1977, uh, we had started selling beer in the United States. Um, we could spend the next five hours talking about the various interprovincial trade barriers that exist <laughs> for beverage alcohol in Canada. Um, but we were actually selling uh, in the United States and pretty well all 50 states before we were selling in Quebec, Ontario, or, or other provinces in Canada. And, uh, and uh, here we are today. And so today, uh, Father uh, is executive chairman. He's in his early 80s. He has a great expression, uh, nose in, hands out. And <laughs> that's my, uh, my brother, Patrick, who's CFO, and, uh, and myself, I'm president and CEO, uh, you know, we run the company uh, and father is just a fabulous, uh, fabulous father and a great owner. I just want to follow up on that last point, Andrew, because, you know, there's not many family companies that make it through the second generation. You know, it's very difficult to make it to the third generation. You're, you're in your kind of fourth or fifth generation, aren't you? I'm generation six, father's five. There you go. So that's remarkable. It really is pretty much uh, unprecedented. And like, uh, I know your dad a little bit. Uh, it, it, you know, handing off to your son is probably one of the greatest things that a father can do. But it's also challenging, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you have to let go. <laughs> and on the other hand, you know, you've got, you, you, you want to see your son be successful. So just just tell us about a little bit about that experience. I, I'd really be interested because, you know, your family has been extremely successful in being able to transfer ownership over the generations. Yeah, I think that um, I'll answer it sort of in two ways. Uh, there were a number of things that, uh, that father uh, did to, to, to help Patrick. The first is in our family, you have to work outside the business before you come in. So after your post-secondary education, you know where you're not going to work. And it just gives you an opportunity to go somewhere else, learn, make some mistakes. And then you come in and you've got a little bit of credibility and, and confidence. And then um, father, um, at a certain point in his tenure uh, uh, running Moosehead, decided it would be advantageous to have an advisory board. And he had some, uh, some pretty high profile and, and, and very competent people. And, you can get great people on your advisory board on one condition. You have to be prepared to listen to them. <laughs> That's right. And so father, um, it was a suggestion actually of one of the advisors uh, that Patrick and I attend those meetings, but purely to listen. And we would ask questions afterwards. And, uh, and that was a great introduction to sort of all elements of the business. Um, and then when father got to a certain 
uh, age, he, he didn't want to run the day-to-day -day of the company. And he brought in a gentleman named Bruce McCubbin, who was the first non-Olin to run the business. And then Bruce became a tremendous uh, mentor to me and an advisor as I moved in uh, to, uh, to the president's role. And we still, we still have an advisory board. Uh, in fact, I spent most of today preparing for the next week's meeting. And uh, it's, it's, a huge, it's a huge asset. The second thing I think for any family business is if you do genuinely want to go into the next generation, you can't divide it up. I have an expression that, you know, cousins can't own a business. And so, you know, the generation, and typically it's one individual by this point who owns it, you know, has to make a tough decision. And there's lots of ways that you can, you know, you can divide the financial side, you can divide the, the assets. Uh, but ultimately, you know, my grandfather made a tough decision that it was going to be uh, going to be my father. And then, you know, we've worked out and we have, we have, you know, various scenarios in terms of what will happen for, uh, for generation six going to generation seven. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, uh, thanks for doing that. That's a very useful for anybody who runs a family business because, uh, that transition is probably one of the most difficult. It's easier to sell your business than to transfer to your family. <laughs> I know that from personal experience a little bit. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about your business today. Uh, you know, uh, obviously Moosehead is a brand that's been well known. And at one point you even had a brewery in uh, in Halifax. Uh, and that was because of provincial regulation. You couldn't sell where you didn't brew. I don't think that that's the case anymore, but that was pretty restrictive. Um, but tell us a little bit about your brands. And, and, and also, I think, uh, I think you do some contract, contract brewing as well, don't you? Yeah, we sort of have three pieces of business. Uh, the biggest one is, is our own brands. Uh, you know, Moosehead Lager, uh, Moosehead Rattler would be more national brands. And then we have some regional brands, particularly out of East, such as Alpine Lager, Moosehead Light. And um, then the second part of our business is um, we are the Canadian importer, the Canadian representative for the Boston Beer Company. So mm -hmm. uh, that's Sam Adams Beer, that's Twisted Tea, Hard Iced Tea. That's truly hard seltzer and angry orchard um, cider, and uh, that's that's a lovely business. It's a cross Canada business, and it really gives us scale when we talk to customers, uh, particularly outside of the Maritimes, because we have more than just our brands. Uh, and then the third business is we do make beer for others, as you as you spoke to contract brewing. Um, and uh, it's interesting. I, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about sort of the challenges that are going on in the business. And one of those is, is COGS and the whole supply chain issues. But what we have seen is with this, uh, uh, it's been difficult for European brewers to get uh, um, uh, beer to Canada. Uh, it's expensive and even just getting access to containers. So we just picked up a nice piece of business in the last couple of months. Uh, to brew a major European brand uh, in, in St. John for all of Canada. And, uh, you know, it really, it really, uh, it, it just helps everything in terms of, as you can imagine, the cost structure. For confidentiality reasons, I can talk about some of it, but not all of it. I hope it's Guinness. Anyway, uh, <laughs> how, much, uh, how much beer do you brew an annually, uh, Andrew? And maybe you could tell us the proportion that, you know, sold in the region and the portion that's sold elsewhere. 
So as you know, Don, we're we're a private company, so we don't have to talk about a lot of things. Oh, so, come on, uh, really? <laughs> so I'll, I'll do it this way. Um, okay. We're we're about two hundred million annual sales. Um, about sixty percent of that is our own brands. About twenty five percent of that would be the Boston beer business, and then the rest fifteen percent would be the the contract business. Right. Uh, in terms of the brands that we own. Um, about less than 20% of our sales are in Atlanta, Canada. Wow. And, and, uh, and the rest are, uh, are uh, you know, the rest of Canada, starting Ontario, then Quebec, uh, then the U.S. And then uh, we have a, I call it an opportunistic uh, international business um, mm. beyond the U.S., um, a lot of it depends on freight rates and, uh, and, and containers and where things can go. Uh, but that's been a, it's, it's, it's a nice little business in terms of our US, our international business, I should say. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, maybe this is a hard question, but David really wants the answer to this question. I think he's a beer drinker, so that's why he wants to know. How much beer has the company brewed since it was founded? <laughs> oh, my soul. <laughs> I, oh, geez, I don't even know where to, <laughs> I mean, I, that would be, that's a fascinating, I mean, it would be, uh, it'd be, it'd be billions of cans of beer. Billions. There you go. There you go, David. You got your answer. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good, uh, a good rough estimate. Billions of cans. All right. Um, so uh, what's your head count these days, Andrew? How many, how many employees in the company? Yeah, we got about uh, 275 uh, and about that, um, just around 200 is in St. John, pretty well split, half unionized, uh, half staff. Of course, St. John is our is our corporate headquarters. So finance, IT, marketing, uh, et cetera, would be here in St. John. Uh, and then we have another 75 throughout the rest of Canada, the bulk of those in the GTA. Uh, where we have a distribution and, uh, and center and a, and a, and a sales office. Uh, and of course, like every other company since COVID, we got people working all over the world, it seems, in terms of this virtual uh, virtual workforce. So you're, you're in a very competitive marketplace, obviously. You've got the big competitors. You've got the craft brewers, people coming at you from all sides. How do you differentiate the Moosehead brand and products in a crowded marketplace? Yeah, it's 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 a great question because it's it's ultimately about you know how do we tell our story, uh, and how do we tell it in a manner like we we have some resources but we have nowhere near the resources of the the, the really big competitors. You know, we're the fourth largest brewer in Canada, Labatt and Molson, obviously Mammoth uh, multinationals, and then Sleeman is a division of Sapporo, which is only a massive uh, multinational. So um, you know, lots of lots of competitors. And I think for us, it's, you know, we, we work hard with our, uh, with our story to make sure it's authentic. And then we just try to be consistent in terms of when we, uh, in, in terms of how we tell it and that we're, uh, and what we're trying to, what we're trying to communicate to, uh, to folks. Our story is in essence, this, this story of, resi of resilience which works, you know, which is the story of Canada and which we think uh, we represent very well. 
Atlantic Canada has attracted over 120,000 immigrants and non-permanent residents since 2016. It represents a new market for you, I guess. Uh, is the company looking at developing uh, you know, products for this newcomer uh, market? I mean, a lot of them are coming from you know, quite different countries uh, than North America, obviously, you know, I guess the question is, how do you penetrate this newcomer market uh, that is, uh, you know, with the products are really heavily tied to the region? Yeah, we've been, I mean, we've had, uh, we've had exposure with new Canadians and, and marketing to new Canadians for a number of years because, you know, the GTA is just such an mm. important part of our, our business. So, you know, we've seen what's happening in, in Atlantic Canada. We've been watching that for the last 20 years um, in, in the GTA. Um, we do not have any, you know, specific products that would be uh, targeted at a individual uh, country. But, you know, we believe, uh, and I'm very biased in this, but we believe that Can uh, Moosehead says Canada better than any other brand. Um, and it certainly would be up there in terms of uh, the top brands that say Canada. And our research indicates that that resonates very well with new Canadians uh, because these individuals, um, they definitely want to maintain elements of, of their past and of their old culture, but they're also <laughs> excited to embrace uh, living in a new country. In recent years, the craft brew brewing uh, sector has emerged as a you know significant player in the Canadian beer market. Uh, recent estimates put it at around six percent of the total nationally. Um, uh, you you do your own craft product as well. I know that, but uh, uh, so obviously you're taking the craft brewery sector seriously. Uh, and uh, tell us about your efforts to address that competition. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, the, the emergence. So we have over a thousand brewers now in Canada. And if you went back 20 years ago, we probably had less than 50. So we've seen a, a huge increase in brewers in Canada. It's been lovely for the category, it's been lovely for our consumers. It's helped us um, in a lot of different ways as an industry in terms of public acceptance and, um, and openness towards beer. On the negative side, you know, when you have a thousand competitors, uh, you know, in, in, New, in New Brunswick, we have 80 breweries now in New Brunswick. So that's, that just, that's, that's what it is. Uh, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, we just have to, we have to deal with that um, both at retail and in bars and restaurants. Um, in terms of our efforts, um, We've made uh, an investment uh, just prior to COVID. Uh, we put in a small brew house and a, an, and a tap room here in the brewery in St. John. So it's, uh, it's allowing a consumer experience. So our consumers can come in, uh, they can get a tour of the brewery, they can, they can see things in action, uh, they can interact with our people. And then the nature of, the problem with big brewers is um, we make uh, beer in large quantities. Uh, and uh, that's great when you want a large quantity of beer, but with 
so much demand and variation, uh, there's a need for, for smaller quantities. And we, we just weren't set up to do that. So this small, we actually have two brew houses. One is, is sort of uh, very small and then the other is just a little bit bigger there. And it just gives us so much more opportunity to experiment and, uh, and have a lot of fun with it and romance beer and celebrate what beer is. So through our, uh, through our small batch offerings, we're over 50 beers that we've had on the market since that opened five years ago and uh, lots more to come. Andrew, we want to ask you a little bit about sort of the economics of the sector and so on. But the first question I wanted to ask you was about your export market. You talked a little bit earlier that you're primarily an exporter. And I think that's something that maybe some listeners might not know. I know from Stats Canada data that New Brunswick companies export around 150 million a year on an average year going back, I don't know, five or six years uh, outside of New Brunswick. Um, so I assume you're a big chunk of that, if not the bulk of that. Can you give us a little more insight into your export markets? You mentioned earlier the GTA. So is it primarily Ontario? Where where are you exporting uh, your products? So, um, you know, our... Our export focus uh, would be Canada, and uh, and um, you know Ontario is just a massive piece of Canada. So that's that would be the number one. That would be it's 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 by far our biggest market, single market, and still has lots of opportunities to grow. Um, and then uh, Quebec, and then the two western provinces, particularly Alberta, would be would be next. Uh, and we are in uh, all fifty U.S. states. Um, and as I said earlier, uh, we also have some, uh, we export to about 15 international, 15 countries uh, around the world. Um, we would also consider our contract brewing, uh, business to be, to be export. Uh, the latest contract that I talked to that I just mentioned, I can't talk specifics, but if you look closely on certain brands in the liquor store over the next few months, you'll see it's brewed in St. John, New Brunswick, you know. Might say, oh, that, that doesn't quite. I thought that came from somewhere in Europe. Well, now you know where it comes from. Um, so the, the latest one we uh, we picked up, um, and it's it's a sizable piece of business. It's it's about the same. It's about as much beer as we sell in the province of New Brunswick. So it's a it's a big piece of business. Um, uh, that is uh, that's Canada only. Uh, in the past, uh, we've uh, we've done stuff that's been U.S. only. It really just depends on, uh, on on what our customer wants, and what we are seeing is um, more interest as you just this whole nearshoring uh, phenomenon uh, continues. And part of it is price. Part of it is the whole reduced environmental footprint, uh, but a big part of it is just the ability to to service the customer and meet the demands of the customer. And just as, as supply chain bottlenecks are gummed up or supply chains are gummed up, um, we just, some of our potential customers have just had out of stock situations. They suddenly nailed to supply the market. So you're able to come in and, and do that work uh, here. Um, so for better or worse, government policy has an impact on your business. Of course, government's control in many jurisdictions of distribution of beer and alcohol. They have, you know, they put fees on certain, there's, there's all kinds of export controls. I think it's getting better recently, but can you tell us what policies are making it harder or even easier to develop markets in Canada and beyond? 
Yeah, so uh, the first one, which is sort of right at the top of every brewer in Canada, is we have a, uh, an excise tax, which is a manufacturer's tax. Uh, and uh, the more the first Morneau budget of 2017 uh, increased that by inflation uh, every year going forward. And of course, we complained when it was in uh, when it was introduced. And they said, "Oh, inflation's only you know one or two percent. It's no big deal." Well, this year we're looking at six point three percent, and uh, for us, it's an eight hundred thousand dollar hit. And you know, David, I don't have to explain to you the challenges a manufacturer's tax has for manufacturers. If you know, if the, if the federal government wants to increase the price of beer every April first, I don't like it, but at least they're collecting it. I have to pay this tax, and then we have to go out and figure out how we're going to collect it from our customers. So that'd be the first one. The second one is just, uh, you know, in the four Atlantic provinces, over 50%, close to 55% of the cost of beer is tax between various provincial and federal uh, taxes. And we're just getting to a point where it's just, it's just, uh, you know, just coming. It, beer is a is an affordable luxury. It's 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 a, it's a it's a it's something that most people enjoy on a regular basis, and we're just pricing it out of the market. It's just uh, at, the, at the point we're getting to. On transitioning a bit, I think a big challenge for the three maritime provinces is, you know, um, capital. Financial capital has always been able to sort of search for the best opportunity, but it's been harder for human capital. Coming out of COVID with the ability to work virtually, uh, it's, you know, employers have a lot more, workers have a lot more, uh, particularly virtual workers have just a lot more flexibility and a lot more uh, opportunity to, uh, you know, to go to low tax jurisdictions, whether they're in Canada or other places. And, and as a manufacturer, um, I think, you know, governments, whether they be municipal, provincial or federal, I'm not sure they just fully appreciate the economic spinoffs of a manufacturer. And uh, I think could do more uh, in terms of uh, reducing barriers and just making it easier to, to encourage investment. So that's a nice segue into my next question around the environment for manufacturing in New Brunswick. Um, many companies are concerned about workers, particularly coming out of the pandemic. Some are complaining or worried about challenged operating costs, energy prices, natural gas, uh, you know, the perpetual issue that we're further from the market, uh, from the population centers in Canada and the U.S. So can I ask you specifically about the beer business? Can you still make a buck at it these days, Andrew? We can, but, you know, so we're dealing with a couple of things. Um, our costs are just going through the roof. Um, you know, in this business, it used to be we'd have one and a half, two percent cost increases across the board. Uh, the last two years, it's been 10 plus. It's just unprecedented. Uh, it's everything from, you know, the price of malt, price of energy, fuel surcharge, uh, paper costs, big component of what we do is, is obviously packaging, you know, aluminum costs, just, just unprecedented what's going on in, in, in the world. And, uh, 
it's tough because we have to uh, we have to try to absorb as much as we can, but we also have to uh, we have to figure out how to try to uh, pass some of that on to our uh, to our customers. On the labor front, um, it's very interesting. Um, so for our um, hourly paid brewery workers, our base rate once they have a certain amount of seniority is about $31 an hour. So, and that would just be the base that's plus all of the fringes and everything. So, you know, these are comparable. St. John is an industrialized economy. So this is comparable to what you know, pulp mill refinery, those type of places are paying. But just, uh, I'll tell you this story, our trade, our rate for trades. So electricians, pipe fitters, instrumentation, mechanics was $34 an hour. And just before Christmas, we bumped that up $4 an hour. So over and above the collective agreement, we went up $4 an hour because we just, you know, we weren't competitive with, with the, with the local market and uh, it was either lose people or, or, or be competitive. And we're seeing the same thing I would say on the, uh, on the, on the staff side, um, a lot of competition. Um, I'm sure you've heard it from others, but, uh, particularly IT finance pretty well across across the board and um, you know one of the one of the nice things about the St. John economy is we have these four really really big companies with Irving Oil, JD Irving Cook and then uh, the Ocean Capital companies um, and uh, they have a they have a big demand for talent so we have to be competitive with that and so uh, we're working hard you can't do it all with money but money's a component of it I just uh, wanted to follow up on the labor issue. Uh, obviously, uh, St. John is finally growing <laughs> after not growing for a while. So that means more labor force coming into the market. Uh, a lot of it is now immigrants. So do you have any special programs trying to attract immigrants to to your business? Um, yes. I mean, we've... we've uh... We've realized that um, we've challenged ourselves in terms of looking at our, our hiring practices and are we, are we um, promoting diversity? What are we doing in our process that may or may not make it easier? Um, and so we're starting to see far more diversity at Moosehead. Um, as I say, I've got a board meeting next week. We just recently hired a cyber analyst who was working in the Ukraine a year ago and then had that, you know, got out of the Ukraine, went to Ontario, and now we've just hired him literally last week. Uh, we've hired uh, another gentleman from Nigeria who was working, who's now our food safety officer. And uh, we have a co-op student coming in from Brazil, uh, again, to work in IT. So um, St. John has not reflected the diversity of Canada for the last 20 years. Uh, it's, it's starting to change and, and we want to be a big part of that change. I, I want to use uh, that as a jumping off to uh, a topic that you and I talked about uh, not that long ago. Uh, and I was really struck by the comments that you made about this. So I, I'd like you to have the same opportunity to talk about what is going on in the city of St. John? A lot of good things. As you spoke, you know, St. John has had some, it's probably had 50 years, 40 years of, of, of challenges. 
had a little bit of bump with the shipyard, but then lost the shipyard and 3,500 jobs. And, um, and there's certainly been, you know, there's been some key manufacturers. The sugar refiner is an example uh, that's shut down. And then Bell, Atlanta, uh, Bell Alliant or MB uh, Tell used to have a big presence here. So we, but we are starting to see some momentum in St. John. It's, it's, it's really encouraging. Uh, I talked about the four, the four big companies that are, that are headquartered here. They're all headquartered uptown. We're seeing nice growth in what we call our uptown or downtown area. For many years, people didn't want to live in the city center of, of St. John. That has changed. But then the big game changer is, is the Port of St. John. Um, I've known you gentlemen for 20 plus years. And as you know, I've been involved one way or another in economic development. And I can tell you just the Port of St. John really never came through as something that people were talking. It was just sort of there. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden, you know, over the last three or four years, it's really changed. Um, the impetus, there was some great work done by Jim Quinn, who was the previous uh, you know, CEO of the port. And then Keith Creel, the CEO of, of CP Rail, made a bet and decided to buy the, the rail line between uh, Montreal and, uh, and St. John. And, uh, you know, that's something that CP sold in the early 90s for $9 million. And they bought back for $140 million or something like that a couple of years ago. <laughs> so... You know, we're they're talking in the city of St. John, uh, the port of St. John, sort of they were 65,000 TEUs five years ago. There'll be 300,000 TEUs this year, going up to 800,000. Um, there's only two ports in Canada that have three class one rail lines coming into them. One is Vancouver and the other is St. John in Brunswick. So cp cn and then csx so down to the us and um the other thing that ports in canada struggle with is so many of them are landlocked and uh, that's not the case in saint john uh, just on the other side of the port it would be a short rail spur we've got 500 plus acres of land that can be developed so the first thing you've got is this potential you know just 800,000 TEUs going through your community, but then what can you do beyond that in terms of, you know, a logistics center? And I'll just tell you a, a story because um, I spoke a couple of weeks ago at a board of trade event and I did some research and, you know, I was a young man, graduated from high school last June, uh, went to work at the port, uh, working for the ILA, the, the Longshoremen's Association, the union down there, provides the labor to the port. Um, and uh, his T4 for this year will be $100,000. <laughs> and by, uh, by May, uh, he'll be full-time at the port at $135,000 a year for the sort of, for the rest of his life indexed. So, you know, these are, these are not jobs, they're careers. And, and that's what's, and we're seeing the same thing with MBSR, which is our local radio uh, railroad. So, um, you know, just a massive economic growth opportunity. Yeah, I, 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 we hope to have Craig Estabrooks on uh, in, the, in the near future to talk about the new cranes that are just came in, uh, came in as part of the uh, $200 plus million dollar, um, renovation that's been going on at the port. You know, it's very exciting. It, you know, it's a game changer, right? 
as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, I have a great affinity, as you know, to the city of St. John. <laughs> I, well, I, really, I love it. So I, I'm so glad to see things finally happening there. It's, it's really, you know, I mean, St. John's uh, had some luck, tough luck, and it's also been its own worst enemy at times. So it's yeah. nice to have some, you know, there's a, there's a different atmosphere here. Um, but yeah, just as an example, if you want to get a container from Europe to uh, to BC, the quickest way is to the Port of St. John now, today. Right. Wow. Yeah. So that's just, yeah. <laughs> and, and I can't, and Craig can talk about it more, but just, you know, if you think about the Port of Halifax, um, you know, they've got one rail line. Right. You know, having three rail lines come into your port just, you know. Yeah, that's... Whenever you have a choice, competition's good. It is big for sure. Uh, I just want to get back to the export market for a second. Adjusted for population size, New Brunswick generates more GDP from the brewery sector than any other province except one. That's quite a... That's quite remarkable. Uh, in total, Atlantic Canadian brewers export um, nearly $300 million per year in beer to the rest of Canada and beyond. Do you have any thoughts about further potential for the beer sector to grow export revenue in the coming years in this region? And Andrew, can you talk also about small brewers and exports? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're a big part of those numbers. Very proud of that. Um, you know, you've got... 80 small brewers in New Brunswick. Um, I think you've got close to 100 in uh, Nova Scotia. So with PEI, you got almost 200. You know, it's the unfortunate fact is very few of those, you know, export outside the Maritimes. You know, mm -hmm. I can I can talk, you know, name less than five. And uh, you know, I I would hope and like to see that uh, that some of those uh, would take the steps, uh, take the risk. And the first risk is just spending some time and money just learning about export markets and export opportunities. Because as we've talked about, just, uh, you know, relying on a, a market of a million people or two million people, if you include, it's, it's yeah, there's just so much more out there. I want to switch topics for a second. Um, you know, uh, your company has uh, been actively involved in a lot of community work over the years and philanthropic activities. Uh, what are what's the focus of Moosehead these days in terms of uh, the uh, philanthropic side, especially? Yeah, it's um, it really comes down to two things. I mean, we, we're we're you know, we're participants. In proud member of the community. And so, you know, we, we feel um, it's an opportunity to support those big community initiatives that are going on. And we're proud to do that. At the same time, uh, about eight years ago, we challenged ourselves to sort of, could we be, could we be more specific? And uh, we, we did a project and we looked at a number of things and we ended up picking Habitat for Humanity as our corporate charity. And the reason is it really, it, fit three things. Um, first of all, we really liked the element about our employees getting involved in the charity. And if any of you know about the Habitat Builds, that's how that works. And our employees have, have, have told us multiple times we want to be involved in the community. The second thing is as a Atlantic Canadian company, often when you donate to certain charities, all of that money goes somewhere else. 
uh, outside Atlantic Canada. And so we wanted to be able to do things, but we also wanted to be able to do more in St. John and Habitats for Humanity is a great example of that. We can do builds in St. John and we can do builds in other parts of the, uh, the country. And then it was finally, it was, it was a good example of sort of families helping families and you know, overcoming adversity. So Andrew, I think we're down to our last question, um, unless there's anything else you'd like to add. But I have known you and your father for many, many years. I remember in the early days of the Business Council having many long discussions with your father and his passion for St. John and for New Brunswick and for for the community. Um, I want to ask you, as an important business and community leader, are you feeling optimistic or pessimistic these days about our future in this region? Yeah, I think I think in the three maritime provinces, I'm I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling optimistic. I'm not sure it's a capital O. It's probably a, a small O, but that's that's a good sign. I mean, you know, what's going on in Halifax is just really special. That's really not. It's interesting that you know Halifax is dealing with some sort of some challenges of growth, but it's really got a it's really got a critical mass and. Greater Halifax really extends almost as far as Bridgewater and New Minas and New Glasgow. I mean, it's just mammoth, right? That central core of Nova Scotia. So what's happening there is good. And then the three cities in New Brunswick are, uh, are, are, are doing well, they're prospering. And I think you know, when, when all three are prospering, I think it just makes it easier for, for the government and for provincial governments to sort of make the tough decisions that need to be made. I think that COVID has been good for uh, all of the Maritimes. It's given us a pride and it's uh, and a confidence, but it's also been a great um, uh, attraction. But I think that the single biggest thing is, I don't know, 10 years ago, someone in Ottawa figured out that it was okay for new Canadians to come to the Maritimes. Prior to that, it was really difficult and Ottawa controls the new Canadians. Uh, and uh, for various reasons that just didn't happen prior. And now we have a uh, we have this influx of new Canadians coming on a regular basis. I think from a from a cultural, from a sort of an acceptance perspective, we've come a long way uh, in the Maritimes. We still have a ways to go. We're not where we need to be, but I think we, we still have a, a ways to go. And uh, you know that that diversity, the diversity of experience of thought is just so vital for uh, for any community, and it's probably why I'm most optimistic about uh, about New Brunswick going forward, particularly the the three cities in southern New Brunswick. There's just one other question. I hope to squeeze in. I just, I, I you know, the uh, there's been some research on the alcohol consumption. Obviously, you're following that with interest, wondering, uh, you know what you think the, the impact of that most recent research, which I, I think some people are questioning, obviously, <laughs> people who like to have a glass of wine a day. But uh, I just wondered, uh, if, is that something that you're concerned about? Uh, uh, you know, how are you dealing with that most recent research? Yeah, so just uh, on that specific piece of research, I think it's important to note that it is just research. It is not, it's not a recommendation from the federal government. Uh, it is research. Um, it was funded by the Federal Department of Health, but it was research conducted by an entity um, which 
I would say has a biased perspective on beverage alcohol. And <laughs> so uh, that's why they, you know, that's why they came out with it. Um, you know, as an industry, we have, a, a, you know, an industry association and, uh, and they would, uh, they would work, they would work those files. Um, I think that what happens when you talk beverage alcohol is we all know that there are instances and there's a segment of the population that, that abuses beverage alcohol. Um, but there are, uh, the vast majority of consumers, beverage alcohol is a lovely part of their life and one of the best parts of their life. And Don, you referred to, you know, the glass of wine or the glass of beer after work with friends, family, that's, mm -hmm. and I'll just say this, you know, people, they'll write things like, you know, beverage alcohol is a carcinogenic. Yeah. So is bacon. <laughs> like, you know, so what happens is these, these, yeah. you know, if you want headlines, we can all create headlines. And um, a lot of things are, are, are taken either out of context or they're not fully explained. And, and what it does is um, it diverts the conversation from the pauper things about, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. I'm a firm believer that um, beverage alcohol is part of a healthy lifestyle, but like everything else, it has to be consumed in moderation. Yeah, they'll take away all the fun. There'll be nothing left. We'll, we'll live like <laughs> two, two minutes longer and we won't have any fun for a whole life. So I, well, I what happens, what happens, David, is, is yeah, you, you jump to it. But then what the consumer does, they just completely ignore it yeah. because they get they get overwhelmed and that doesn't make any any sense from sort of a, a health policy perspective. You've got to take talk to people as if they're adults, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, I think we'll end it. Thanks for joining us today, Andrew, on the Insights Podcast. We wish you all the best in the future, and we're really happy to be exposing the company to the, our younger audience here and our older audience, and, and uh, we thank you for coming on today. Thanks so much, guys. Keep up the great work. A real pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.